Welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and is affected by our economy. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, coming to you live from my apartment. I hope everyone is staying safe and sane out there. And today, we're going to talk about worker safety and how there is a new way to view what is a dangerous job in this COVID world we are all living in. That includes the safety of the building you are working in. So we're going to discuss what it's like to be in a green certified building and what it's like to be in your normal everyday building. And then my colleague in Beijing, Zhao Xu Wang, joins me to discuss what it's like to be living somewhere that is finally reopening after being closed down for so long. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. Some Western governments have decided it's time to slowly reopen their economies in an effort to curb the economic devastation that has been wrought by the COVID-19 pandemic. Some, like Austria and Denmark, are doing so because they have the pandemic relatively under control, while others, like some states in the United States, are doing so in an effort to shore up political support by restarting devastated economies, even as criticism mounts about the manner in which these states are reopening. Regardless, one day our societies will have to reopen, and in doing so, we will have to change our discussions about what job is considered safe and what job is considered dangerous. Because the old measurements of workplace safety are going to have to be enhanced to account for those workers that cannot work from home and have to closely interact with people every day. I'm talking about grocery store workers and cashiers and retail workers and restaurant employees, just to name a few. So to talk about this I have with me Sam Block because Sam covers our industry that is considered very dangerous traditionally the mining industry and Sam I thought it would be great if you could start us off by first talking about how you view health and safety for a traditionally dangerous industry like mining yeah well I mean we look at this you know health and safety from multiple different angles I mean um, the most important in my mind is performance so uh, we look at, um, and when we measure performance, we're lo- mostly looking at um, fatality rates, uh, injury rates, uh, how severe those injuries are, um, and then we compare that to the industry average. And then we also look at, um, you know, measure ex- the the risk exposure the companies face in terms of like the dangers that are at the job. So if you're talking about a mining company, we look at, um, you know there's additional hazards for underground mining versus surface mining, but mining in general is a more dangerous occupation than say um, working at a bank, obviously. Um, And then we measure the differences between all the different industries. And, um, and then we also look at what are the companies doing? Do they have um, standard health and safety management systems? Are they certified to to high standards? and also, um, another key aspect is is the governance of of this as an issue, and so who's in charge. And really, most importantly, on that is um, are the people that are in charge are they compensated for achieving, you know, um, strong safeties linked to co- executive compensation. So I would think a mining company is better suited to dealing with dangerous situations than a retail store, for example. And so the mining company could handle in theory, COVID a bit better. Like if 
If you have had a lot of workplace fatalities, you are likely going to have a better understanding of how to keep your employees safe. It, it feels like if I can make a a crass example it's similar to warring nations versus an, uh, two nations that aren't really allies but aren't really beefing with each other if i'm at war with someone i better have a good communication base set up so there are no unfortunate mishaps same with a mining company i better have a good system of taking care of my employees or i'm gonna see a lot more damage than if a retail company doesn't have a good system for taking care of their employees well i think that's stretching it a bit <laughs> but um I think there are some points there. I mean, so for health and safety companies like mining companies that have to work underground or any companies that, you know, have these type of hazards, you know, they have they have respiratory equipment and, and things to protect them and they have safety moments. You know, a lot of these a lot of companies and in industry, heavy industry companies are going to have, you know, every meeting they're going to talk about safety. Um, that's not going to be the same case when you're talking about, you know, people working at a grocery store. You don't have, you don't, have, people don't start the shift and say, okay, make sure you know where the exits of the, you know, the, the building are or that everyone's has the, the proper uh, PPE. That I think is going to be changing. And now people that are facing, some of these new risks and there hopefully will be kind of the more of these safety powwows uh, throughout the day so that leadership can communicate to their workers and say, here's what we're doing. Here's what you need to do. You know, let's work as a team to achieve these goals. Right. And I think we're going to actually also start to have to quantify new risk factors at companies and look at different indicators of risk. So the traditional indicators that we look at to understand risk in mass would be uh, to consider whether or not there is a high total recordable incident rate at that company. And basically that's how much messed up stuff has happened at your workplace divided by the number of hours you worked. And of course there are the number of fatalities per billion dollars of sales. And I know that sounds kind of blunt and crass, but this is something we do to measure risk in mass. And what you do is you get companies, when you look at those factors, that are in the mining sector or the infrastructure sector that are considered the most dangerous. But when you use a proximity index as an indicator of risk that measures how close you are to someone at your job, how close you are to customers when you're working, you get a much different picture. You get the retail industry and the restaurant industry as the top risky jobs, for example. And by the way, Sam made a great graph showing this difference between traditionally risky industries and the new risky industries. And we posted on social media a week ago, so you should definitely go check that out. But Sam, I'm curious, when you were doing this, these findings, um, where do you think they're going to take us in a couple of months? Because if governments begin to open up more of these industries to the public in an effort to restart the economy, uh, we could have a serious problem on our hands um, in industries that historically have seemed relatively safe. So I think what we're seeing is, a, is really an increased use of technology. Uh, to enable a lot of companies to, to continue operating. And I think that will, um, you know, this idea of using new technology to improve safety, to can improve, you know, potentially social distancing is going to increase, is going to increase. Um, and, and then I think it's very likely that even those places such as um, at, at a store, um, we're, we'll probably see an increased use of um of these, you know, self-checkouts and kiosks that will enable the cashiers to stay far away from their 
from their customers, uh, but allow the businesses to, to stay open uh, and protect both customers and uh, and the people that are working there. Um, so what we've found in our research is, is companies that do have a um, you know, are more capital intensive, uh, often will have better safety records. Um, and it's, and it's in large part because it's able, uh, it's enabling companies to keep their employees away from the most dangerous places. But, um, there is the problem of, uh, if we increase automation, especially very rapidly, um, it can mean a rapid loss of jobs. Um, and, um, and that will obviously, you know, could have a long-term, uh, repercussions on, on labor relations at a place. But, um, I think number one, if you want to, you know, maintain labor relations, you, you need to protect the safety of your employees. And the safety of your employees might also be based on the type of building they go into when they go to work every day. Green buildings, for example, those buildings that are certified as being more sustainable in terms of energy usage and just owner of overall environmental benefits have also better indoor air quality. And air quality is a pretty important aspect when you have a virus that is airborne. So with me, I have Morgan Ellis, who is one of our analysts that covers the real estate industry to explain the benefits of certified green buildings during a pandemic. So Morgan, what's all the fuss about? Green buildings do have a track record of being healthier places to work due to the tendency for them to have greater amounts of outside fresh air. Um, so by fresh air, I mean, it's not being recycled through the building. Um, so it would still have to go through a filtration system to get rid of pollutants from the outside, but it's not being recycled from other tenancies within the building. So this, can, this is um, leading to improvements in occupant and tenant health um, and leading to the potential reduction of um, general respiratory issues such as asthma. Part of um, the green building rating schemes in terms of the in-use or performance and operational rating schemes, um, such as wells or neighbors or bream in use, etc., cetera, um, has regular testing of air quality um, to show that the performance of internal air quality is still in line with what was designed, um, is able to pick up problem areas or problem hotspots. So this gives building owners and managers um, information on where improvements need to be made. So what does that mean? They just have like more open air available? The, the windows are bigger or is it, you know, I work in New York and they can't open up the windows on the 48th floor, but I know our building is green certified. So what does that mean exactly so one of the ways that you can get credits in a green building rating system is to increase the amount of outside air over the minimum required to be a legal building so building standards will have a minimum amount of outside air that is required based on the number of people and occupancy rates so that people don't pass out from carbon dioxide overexposure um, because the cheapest and easiest way to run a building is to not have any outside air because then you don't have to do anything to it. And the air conditioning system can just keep recycling air at the same temperature, the same stuff. Outside air means that the pumps have to be a little bit bigger. So they use a little bit more energy to push the air around. Um, 
and cool it or heat it depending on what they need. There also now has to be a lot of cleaning that happens in office buildings. Um, when these economies start to open up, there's notifications that are being sent out by uh, companies that are saying, here are the precautions we're taking to ensure that our employees' health is um, protected. Uh, and they say things like, we will ensure that we clean offices um, to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Do green buildings have better cleaning regimens or do they use different products than non-green certified buildings? Um, this might be beneficial for investors that actually care about uh, what type of chemicals are used in the operation of their office building. Um, as part of these schemes, um, there's also likely to have cleaning regimes that include products that are more environmentally friendly and occupant friendly, um, especially with increased cleaning um, rotations in this COVID area. So through this uh, better design and increased design um, considerations that tend to be done over and above the minimum um, required by building codes, um, the internal environment tends in green buildings tend to be a lot more a um, lot, lot healthier and um, a lot more beneficial uh, for tenants. And now we're going to continue our weekly series where I discuss with colleagues in different areas of the world how they've been impacted by COVID-19. And this week I'm joined by my colleague Xiaoshu Wang who works in our Beijing office about how it's been going in China as the government begins to slowly reopen its society after heavy restrictions were in place to curb the spread of the coronavirus. Okay, so for things open up in China, we can see, um, uh, I would say on the one hand, the government, they want to boost economy, they want to make things reopen, but there's still strict control on COVID. So we can see it's a dilemma and there is like back and forth of policy change. In the beginning, some of the OZ, uh, parks, some of the open public places for people to visit, they open and then turn out to be uh, a strong passion of people to go outside. So there is a big crowd in those places. So um, the government worried about the distance. So they now have very strict control. People need to register and to book a reservation or book the ticket um, uh, one day before, before they can go. So they control the total amount of people can, can go through those public uh, places. And also for 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 the restaurant the situation is also similar um the lots of restaurants allowed to 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 get reopened but um you can see um in in those places people need to sit in distance like at least 1 meter between each other even if like a couple go together for for lunch in the restaurant they are kind of be seated in different table and with one meter distance and also um, people need to carry a um, a, a electronic health code with ourselves in the mobile it's in either Alibaba or WeChat software we commonly use so you can like scan something it will show like within the past 12 um, past two weeks, whether you visited other high-risk regions of the country, and if you have ever been those places, um, in the past two weeks, you were not allowed to, to get into a, 
a department store or a restaurant. So so everything still street controlled but reopen gradually. Do you have one of those apps on your phone right now? Yes, yes. I, I need what to carry. What is it saying? What what does it show you? Um, it's uh, it's something to show you. Uh, whether you can pass or not, because it all the all the apps, it's all the information is built in the backend. I think uh, our mobile service, the the telecom communication, they can share all the backend information. Uh, where where we use the、uh, the data or where we use the、uh, um the internet. Uh, in in the past fourteen days, they share to the government, so they can check. Um, where they can trace your kind of routine and where you. Went so this some this is something I think worked quite well to help COVID control and and but it's also a question for privacy and data security if like technology can can make it happen so easily and uh we if over the long term we still kind of exposed to this kind of um quite transparent of our like、uh, movement yeah. And that's it for the week. I wanted to thank Sam and Morgan and Xiaoxu for discussing this week's news with an ESG twist. And I wanted to thank you so much for listening. I hope you're staying safe out there and you're trying to keep sane in whatever way possible. I also wanted to say that we have a new podcast that is coming out. It's called MSCI Perspectives, and it's actually made by the people that I work with in the broader MSCI world. It's not part of MSCI ESG Research, but it is part of MSCI Incorporated. You should check it out. They discuss things that happened in the market the day of. The most recent episode that aired was on April 30th, and it's about analyzing the Fed's unprecedented actions during COVID-19. So don't forget to check that out if you've been enjoying what you've listened to so far, and don't forget to rate and review this podcast and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks as always. Stay safe out there. MSCI ESG Research podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and/or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell, or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or produ- product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision, and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.